The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. A fun story. Um, a Sunday, uh, no, a hot Saturday, um, I was um, taking an intern to a women's meeting. And she was, the intern was from Canada. She was a, um, an interior design major. And so we thought, well, let's just teach some women, you know, just how to, you know, make their house beautiful, you know. So we're going along and um, I think, oh, we better pray, you know. And so as we're praying, Jesus just planted a little idea in my head. Um, I know it was him because it was, it was a good idea. <laughs> and um, so I, um, we got to the, the ladies meeting and um, all of a sudden, Doris, the, the, the pastor's wife, um, said to me, um, Pastora Gracie, could you please um, just um, give us a little devotional? I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that thing I just thought of, which actually came from Proverbs 31, about um, she can laugh at the days to come. And I said, do you have a passage? She goes, oh, yeah, um, Proverbs 31. Oh, okay. So, um, so I just talked about how we as women bring beauty to our homes by our spirits. Then from there, the whole thing went downhill. <laughs> um, the, um, I just didn't realize the language I didn't have in Portuguese as this intern talked about different tones of white and beige and taupe and brown. And I was just, it was, it was a disaster really. And so I left, I couldn't even look um, Doris, um, my precious friend in the eye. I couldn't look her in the eye. I said, um, okay, see you later. And I got home and she was calling me and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> she's going to tell me how bad it was or something. She wouldn't, she wouldn't do that. So I got on the phone and um, she goes, you wouldn't believe what happened. We invited a, a, a lady um, who's not from our church to come and she's from a Catholic background and really seeking the Lord. And she said that the Lord really spoke to her through that little two minute message. And she said, the Lord spoke to her the rest of the time. She didn't hear anything I said. <laughs> so precious women today, if Jesus speaks to you and you hear one thing and don't hear the rest of what I say, praise Jesus, because he's got some things he will has specially um, sending. He wants to send to you today. Um, special love messages um, to you. So I just know that he is uh, faithful and he will speak in such beautiful, clear ways to each of us today. We're going to talk today about essential first steps. And when I first designed this whole, um, you know, the PowerPoint we've been working through, um, this, this kind of came up and I was thinking, no, 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 no. It's not our getting up to Jesus. It's not our getting up to heaven. And I was going to change it until yesterday when um, Cricket was on the prayer call and she read out of John and, you know, John one, where, um, where the disciples are being called and um, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the son of man. And in Jacob, we have the same, the ladder coming down. So this is a sweet message to me and to us that 
Jesus is coming down to us today. And what we're going to talk about holiness is nothing we have to get up and do. He's coming to us. I heard, um, I've heard a couple sermons by David Platt, who's a, uh, he was the director of Baptist missions and amazing preacher. And he said that he was discussing two, um, with two men from a different religion. I think one was a Hindu, one was a, a Muslim. And they were saying, oh, you know, it's all the same God. We just have different roads to get him, get to him. And he said, that's not my God. I can't get to him. He came down to me. And so that's what we're going to talk today about him coming to us and how we can begin our beautiful walk with him. Um, I want to show you, I know there's a missionary on from Haiti and I know Cindy Fox is on, maybe there's some other missionaries, but um, I don't know if you recognize what this possibly could be. <laughs> this is um, maple syrup. Let me um, stop this share for a second. Um, and you know that maple syrup in, on the mission field is not maple syrup. It's made of two cups sugar, one cup water and maple flavoring. And uh, my children grew up with this, so they love it. In fact, I have a son who is on the lookout for this flavor. And I said, honey, you have to make it. And he says, no, mom, IHOP has pretty good. So I don't know if that means they're not pure or not, but this is almost syrup, right? And I wanna to talk today about if you're from Michigan or Canada, you would say, no, that is nowhere close to being anywhere near syrup. Because um, we're not going to talk about being almost syrup or almost or altogether syrup. We're going to talk about being almost Christian and altogether Christian. And that's what John Wesley talked about because he wanted to make it very clear there's a huge difference between an, being an almost Christian and an altogether Christian. And so we're going to look at, um, we can learn from scripture about what it is to be all together Christian. The almost Christian is, um, if you read um, Wesley's sermons, these are the first, it's the second sermon. And he put these three sermons um, in, in the beginning to say, these are the theology that he um, wants to, the doctrine that he makes, wants to make sure we understand. So what does it mean to be a true follower of Christ or an altogether Christian? What is an almost Christian? Well, an almost Christian is you're concerned with justice so that you do not steal, oppress, cheat, or lie. You are concerned with the truth so that you do not slander another. You reach out to others, serve, um, and feed the poor. You do not do anything that the gospel forbids. You avoid conflicts and strife and try to live peacefully with all people. No idle words, abstaining both from detraction backbiting, tail-bearing, evil speaking, and from foolish talk. You do unto others what you would have them do unto you. You are not slothful um, or in any business and do all manner of good to all and to their souls as well as their bodies. You reprove the wicked, instruct the ignorant, uphold the wavering, encourage the good, and comfort the afflicted. You practice the means of grace. You go to church, you pray, you read your Bible, 
You fast, you take communion and are sincere. You even have a real desire to serve God, a hearty desire to do his will and please him in all things. Is it possible? And this is what Wesley says. Is this possible that any man, I added the woman, living should go as far as this and be an almost Christian? I mean, when you read those, you think, oh my word. <laughs> How can that be? What more than this is being implied being an altogether Christian? And we're going to take a look because this is really having a form of godliness, but there's no power, right? That's what it says in 2 Timothy 3, 5. So we're going to look at what the scriptures say about what it, what it means to be an altogether Christian. Uh, as we looked uh, closely at Mark 11 and 12 to see what it was saying as a whole and um, how important um, what we read here is. Um, I'm not very good at math. But when I see the last week of Jesus' life, six chapters out of 16, I had to get my calculator out to figure that out. That's 38% of the book is focused on this last week of Jesus' life. So what we find here are very, very important things. We see Jesus acting in a way that's different than we see him in other, in other uh, parts of, of Mark. And um, okay, so let's read uh, Mark 12. 28 through 34, and I am reading from the ESV, okay? Jesus, open us, open our hearts, speak to us, Jesus, from your word, um, and anoint this, this reading, Jesus. Um, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have really said that he is one, and there was no other besides him and to love him with all the heart, all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength and, and to love one neighbors as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said, you are an almost Christian. <laughs> he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we have this, this man who is described, who is honestly seeking to know um, um, what it, it means to. And if you look in Luke, the, the lawyer asked what it is to have eternal life. So we see this man knowing who Jesus is and understanding, beginning to understand who he is and ask this question because he wants to know how to really um, follow God. Okay, we're going to look at this whole um, Mark 11 and 12, because it's interesting how it's nestled in here, this, this little vignette. And um, so we're going to go back to um, Mark 11, 
And we're going to look at some things um, because to me, when I looked at it, I did not realize that this fell inside of the, after the triumphal entry, Jesus is doing some different things here. And so the first thing he does is he shows his authority. And um, so I've listed a few things. Okay. Um, so Jesus showed his authority in a number of ways. He said to the donkey owner that the Lord has need of it. And some people say, no, they just knew who Jesus was, but it's very clear. It says the Lord has need of it. And they said, okay. Um, coming on a cult, as you know, Zechariah 9, 9 says, this is the coming king. Um, pretty much authority talk there. The crowds are crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, bringing in the kingdom, they say. He went to the temple and looked around, not as a tourist, but as one in authority, evaluating what was going on. Cursing of the fig tree. Now, this is so interesting. In the reading I was doing, um, some commentaries were like, we just wish this weren't here. <laughs> it's so hard to understand Jesus doing this. But you know what? I have a mango tree outside my house, and it is mango season. But you know what? I know it's mango season way before the mangoes come. I can see buds and I, I know there's gonna be mangoes. So it's hard to know what actually happens here, but maybe Jesus didn't see any proof there was ever gonna be any fruit. But we do know in the context that Jesus is using the fig tree as being representative of, of Israel and they are not bearing fruit. So then you have um, the cleansing of the temple, which is a direct challenge to the authority of the high priest. Um, I love that he prevented people from passing through. This is not just a place, you a shortcut to get somewhere. Um, I just would love to see how he did that. Um, then he says, this is a house of prayer for all nations, making the Gentiles part of the redemption plan. This is so beautiful. Um, the court of Gentiles was not being used for what it was supposed to be. How can one pray with animals and negotiating? Um, have you ever heard a negotiation in a Jewish market? You would know it was going to be really noisy. Um, praying with authority, faith and repentance. And, you know, we have this, this very interesting um, words that Jesus says about moving mountains and going from Bethany to Bethphage is on the way to, Gent uh, to Jerusalem. And I know many of you have been to Israel and you can see from that road, um, this mountain. And actually it's not really a mountain. It's a, um, a castle that Herod built because he was so neurotic. He was so psychotic. He was just sure everyone was gonna steal his kingdom. So he made this um, hidden palace in here. And what he had to do, he had to move the mountain from the left side over to the right side. And, you know, I imagine Jesus saying, if there is a, an, a power, a man on this earth that can do something like that for his own selfishness, for his own neuroses or his own um, whatever complex he had, would you trust in me? Because I can help you when you are giving yourself to me, we can, we can move mountains together. And so Jesus is teaching them that there is a, a faith and he's that is a part of our lives, but there's also, I love this part. There has to be a forgiveness. And we're gonna talk about more of that next week. 
But as we pray, we have to be clean and clear with, with, with Jesus. And um, so um, there was just some, his authority on teaching how to pray as well. Um, okay. So then we have the four questions. Now we can't go into all of these, but um, after all this, of course, the authorities come and say, who do you think you are? <laughs> and by whose authority are you doing these things? And Jesus answers each of these questions um, with amazing wisdom. Um, he just marveled. They marveled. I see twice they, um, about um, the word marvel in these, in these, um, in these sections. Uh, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he says, render what to um, Caesar, what's Caesar? And to God, what is God's? And then I love this whole thing with the Sadducees who they prided themselves that they knew the word. They knew the Pentateuch. They, they studied Moses and they are using Moses. And then of course, Jesus uses Moses back saying, um, if you really knew my word, you knew that if you, if you knew the scripture, you knew the power of God, um, we wouldn't be having this discussion. And then he uses the very words that God spoke to Moses uh, on, at the burning bush. I am the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham. Um, okay. And so then we have the last question, which of these is the greatest? Um, and I love, I love these, um, the heart of this man, because he doesn't come as someone that's coming to, um, to try and, um, he's not trying to um, test Jesus again. He's not trying, he, he really is marveling at who Jesus is and he wants to know um, what is the great commandment. And um, so I'm gonna, as you know, that is called the Shema, Hero Israel. And um, it's so important to the, the Jewish faith that they will, if you can look at, can you see this? This is um, called a mezuzah. And they will actually, I mean, it's so specified on a parchment written by a scribe with a certain kind of ink, um, you will, they will have the hero Israel, uh, Lord, your God is one, of course, in Hebrew. Um, and they'll put this not on just on their front door post, but on every door in the house, except the bathroom, laundry room and um, closets, you know, walk-in closets don't, don't count. And, um, because it identified them as Jewish people. And it also reminded them of their connection with God. And in some places I read that this even people, J Jewish people see this as a protection, kind of a superstition, because it said the mezuzah comes, the word comes from doorposts. So it, it means, it comes from Exodus when, when uh, God told them to put the, the blood on the, on the doorposts so that, um, um, let me see how it said it exactly. So that the destroyer would not be allowed to come into their houses to smite them. So that's one of the reasons Jewish people put it on today to identify them as Jews, but also as a protection. But we see that Jesus wants something so much more than just to have it on our doorpost. I love that we have things in our homes that talk about who Jesus is. And, but Jesus wants to be more than on just on our doorpost. He wants to be in our hearts. He wants us to have that love in us as we, um, as we walk with him. Um, so I'm going to go to um, our precious Helen Rosevere, but I'm going to be um, sharing just a little quote from the Living Sacrifice um, 
because she puts this in, in terms that help me understand it. So let's look at those. Okay, so this is what she says. To love the Lord my, my God with all of my soul will involve a spiritual cost. I'll have to give him my heart and let him love through it whom and how he wills, even if this seems at times to break my heart. To love the Lord my God with all my soul will involve a volitional and emotional cost. I'll have to give him my will, my rights to decide and choose, and all my relationships for him to guide and control, even when I can't understand his understanding. To love the Lord my God with all my mind will involve an intellectual cost. I must give him my mind, my intelligence, my reasoning powers, and trust him to work through them, even when he may appear to act in contradiction to common sense. To love the Lord my God with all my strength will involve a physical cost. I must bring him, I must give him my body to indwell and through which to speak, whether he chooses health or sickness by strength or weakness and trust him utterly with the outcome. That is um, pretty clear, pretty strong stuff there. But I love how she is able to flesh out those things um, so that I can understand in a better way what that means. Loving the Lord with all your heart means that you can say with certainty that your heart is always crying out for him. Who have I in heaven but him, but you, and there is no one on earth besides you. In fact, what can we wish for besides Jesus? It's not the world nor the things of the world. In the covenant, I love this because God gives himself completely to us. And so Jesus is saying, give yourself completely to me. Um, he wants us to be an altogether Christian um, and to give ourselves totally, totally to him. Body, soul, mind, and strength, all to him. So that's just the first part. So the second part, we have the second commandment, and that is talking about um, loving our neighbor. And I, I love this because we cannot, as you know, we cannot love, it, the love that God gives us is not for ourselves. It is always for another. And, um, and so when we, we read this about loving your neighbor as yourself, I, I didn't know this. I learned quite a few things. Um, when there are, when they say there are 613 laws in, in, um, you know, in, in this time, the Jewish people followed, I always thought they were rabbinical things. I always thought it was like, oh, you know, Sabbath, you only can go like 16 feet and then stop. No, they were, they were the laws that said, um, you do not leave your. I mean, there were there were laws in the in the in the Pentateuch in the in the Torah, and um, so when it says to love other your neighbor, the Jews would who would their neighbor be? Another Jew. They would never ever willingly <laughs> live or have a neighbor who wasn't a Jew. In fact, they they every day they would say, "Thank God, I'm not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave." 
So a, a Jew, Jew would interpret this as saying to love another Jew. That's where Jesus blows up wide open. That's where he says in, in Luke, he says, um, not only um, does that, it's interesting that Samaritan, uh, he becomes the neighbor for the Jew. He chooses when the other, uh, the other um, Jewish uh, priests and Levite, they're coming from the temple. They wouldn't be defiling themselves, but they just walk the other way. And so you have the Samaritan saying, I choose you at a cost. I'm going to give you my donkey. I'm going to give you my money. I'm going to give you my, maybe his bandages. He had to take off his clothes. I mean, some of his you know, garments or we don't know, but he gave of himself. And as if you're not an all together, if you're an almost Christian, you might give your extra, you might serve your extra, but it, all together Christian is someone that gives when they it's going to hurt when it's sacrificial and so that's what we see in the Samaritan and that's what Jesus is saying here we have a your neighbor <laughs> is everybody I mean that's what we know everyone you come into contact with um, um, that is um, I, I have a list of, of people but you know the people that um, who live next to you or in your home or in your neighborhood or in your grocery store. Um, everyone is our neighbor. And that those are um, who we need to, um, to care for. Interesting. And in I never noticed this before, but when the, when Jesus said who of the three was this, was the um, uh, neighbor, the, the, the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. <laughs> he says um, the one who showed mercy. And so it, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. But um, Jesus says we are to love all mankind, all everyone uh, we come in contact with. Um, so it's really important that when we love others, I didn't read the whole sermon of the almost Christian because the almost Christian, they said, you give when you have it. Well, I could not be here on the mission field unless people have given when they don't have it. We know that people are giving sacrificially for us to be here. And it is a beautiful reminder every day. And when I see Jesus do things, I'm like, Jesus, this is because someone is giving and praying and we are reaping all the benefits from it. And I, I think it's very, we gotta be very careful how we use scripture sometimes to like, um, Philippians 4.19, when it says, may God supply all your needs. The Philippian church had given everything. They, they, they were unemployed. They didn't have any money. <laughs> and they're saying, Paul, take this money and use it. In fact, I love, if you, if you look at 2 Corinthians 8, 8.4, I, I just love it. Um, Paul says, I'm going to try and get there real quick not to take too much more time, but um, <laughs> he says, listen to this, the Macedonians, the Philippians, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Is that not craziness? So wanting to give um, to, to, to help another. And I love this. And I have a husband that's like this. And I got to be really, really careful because sometimes I can't trust him when he goes on mission trips 
because he'll give it all away, you know. And um, so he went to Honduras um, just a couple weeks ago. And, um, and we had agreed um, that um, we were going to help a church um, put a, a roof on because it got blown off in one of the hurricanes. And so Tom said he went with a guy and he bought the roof. And I said, oh, so how much was it? And he said, well, <laughs> it was a little more than we thought. And so he told me the amount. And I, and I was like, Jesus, you got to help me because I don't want to be that almost Christian that only gives whenever it's easy. And so I kind of, when he told me, I kind of wrote gulp and, um, and then I said, well, Jesus knows. And would you know, it was, I think hours later, I got a sweet message from one of my friends who prays for me and they're supporters of us. And she said, Grace, um, <laughs> I want to, um, we got our stimulus check. I want to give it to whatever you need it for. And I said, Oh, you just bought a roof in Honduras. <laughs> so it was so sweet that Jesus um, used um, our willingness, but then used, um, um, he said, okay, I'm going to help you out a little bit because <laughs> that was pretty stiff. So Jesus um, knows our needs. He does. And he will supply our needs when we give him everything. You know what I'm saying? He supplies our needs when we are so dependent on him. It's a radical kind of living. I mean, this whole, whole I wish we could talk about Philippians. He's radical. He's content in prison. He's, he's um, rejoicing. And these people are rejoicing because they're giving everything they have. It's just amazing. And um, so that's the kind of uh, altogether Christian we want to be. The kind of people that say, Jesus, it's all yours and take it okay so then um as we are um um the last part john talks or john wesley talks about is faith so he he wants us to know what it is to love jesus with all our hearts and love our neighbor with all our hearts and then he says and you need to have faith this is the element that reveals our trust in god our absolute reliance on him every I'm going to use my, my, my brother, uh, Bill uses stinking all the time, every stinking way we are going to believe in him. We're going to trust in him. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, so then Wesley uses this definition of the, from the church. He says, um, faith is the right and true Christian faith is not only to believe that the Holy scriptures and the articles of faith are true. That's, that's an essential, but also, and this is where we need to come to, ladies, to have a certainty and a confidence to be saved from everlasting condemnation by Christ. It is a certain trust that one has in God that by the merits of Christ, nothing on our own, by his only, that our sins are forgiven and that we are reconciled to the favor of God of which they follow with loving hearts to obey his commandment. So this is where we got to start. I don't know if this is the first step or steps, but unless we are fully aware of our, our of his salvation in our hearts today, that it is a, a done deal. We don't have to keep wondering. We don't have to keep looking at our, our what we're doing. And, and we are looking at only him that he has saved us completely and absolutely. I wanted to um, 
go to this last, and this is what I love, this last little picture in this, in this group of verses. Um, Jesus then will go on to say that he is the Messiah. He asked them a question. But then you have at the end of this little bit, this beautiful little story about the, the widow. So Jesus is sitting there and he's calling his disciples and he said, look at this. And so all the rich people are clanging their money <laughs> in, as you can see in these, um, these brass, whatever. And you have this little precious woman. I don't know how he knows it, but he says she has put in everything. So as I asked the question in our, in our notes, what does she reveal here? How can she show us some truths that come from, from um, Mark 11 and 12? She rendered to God what was God's and um, she was fruitful. And, um, and Jesus um, um, noticed her and loved her. So today um, we're, gonna, we're gonna end, we're gonna close right now. And I just thank you so much for, um, for your study. And, and I don't wanna leave anyone tonight without the certainty of where you are with Jesus and that he offers himself. I, I love, um, I, I found this quote, um, he does not withhold himself from us, but wants to give himself completely to us. So tonight, I don't know where you are. I don't know where your faith is. I don't know where your love for Jesus or others is, but he wants to fill you. He wants you to come to him saying, Jesus, I don't have, I'm empty. I need you. So that we can begin, this is what we call initial uh, sanctification, where we, we come saying, Jesus, would you forgive me my sins? I want to be in relationship with you. Now let's walk this walk together. And uh, we're going to go through the next six weeks. We're going to talk about different ways we can um, walk in, with holiness in our homes, where we work, when we're under pressure, and, and um, in our church. Sometimes that's hard. <laughs> it shouldn't be. And, um, and then finally in discipleship, how Jesus is going to wants us to grow uh, in, in um, our holiness through discipleship. So um, let's just have a word of prayer. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Jesus, you are all sufficient. You have all that we need. We don't want to be looking anywhere else but you for, to fulfill us, to give us what we need. You are enough for us. You want us to be in covenant with you so that we can have all of you and you can have all of us. But we know, Jesus, that there's our part and your part. And we know that you, Jesus, are faithful to help us to even do our part as we need to have the faith. We want to have the faith that responds to your gift, your gift of salvation, your gift of love. As we read that uh, we are saved by your grace. It's all grace. There is nothing we can ever, ever do to earn it. And I think that's why this study was so important for me is as e easy in the legalistic way to kind of count up what we do. None of it matters, Jesus. None of it matters in the sense of 
our place with you. Our salvation only comes from you. And once we have you in us, then all those things that, that we want to do to help us to grow and to walk with you are delights and not burdens. So Jesus, I pray tonight that you would lift, if there's any burden here and these precious ladies, that you would lift that burden and say, I'm enough, I'm here, I'm yours, and I will give you all of me that you want. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your gift. We thank you for dying to make it possible for us to have life. So I just pray tonight, Jesus, we will leave this place in a relationship with you that is just so different than when we came. Because Jesus, we just want more and more of you. Pray this in your name, your precious, precious name. Amen.